2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 through 19 tonight. And our side trips are Matthew 16 and Revelation 22. Okay, we are in 2 Peter, right? This is his swan song. Has everyone in the room pretty much been at one of the messages at least in 2 Peter? Okay, you guys know this is Peter's swan song. He is leaving this world very soon. And as a good under-shepherd, he wants to warn the flock of God before he departs this world. His message over the whole book really is, beware of the wolves among you. Beware of the wolves with their false doctrine. And the first thing that he does is to remind. We saw that in depth on Sunday. Let's just go over those verses again. You guys say those words one more time. Remind or reminding or or reminder. Verse 12. For this reason I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things. Though you know and are established in the present truth. Yes, I think it is right as long as I am in this tent to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. We saw it on Sunday. Peter is he's adamant about reminding us relentlessly, he says. Actually, that's where it says remind you always. It means tenaciously, relentlessly. Every time you turn around, he's saying, look, don't forget this. Don't forget the word says this. Don't forget this. So Peter spends all of chapter 1, if, you have, if you're keeping an outline, again, all of chapter 1 goes under the heading of reminder. Um, he's reminding the flock of God. Verses 1 to 4, he reminds them, you are rich. I'm sorry. That's all right. That's all right. There's a reminder. <laughs> All right, you ready? Here we go. Peter spends all of chapter 1 reminding the flock of God, right? Verses 1 through 4, he says, look, here's a reminder. You are rich. That means you don't have any need for what those false teachers promise you. Because what they're promising you is no better than what you already have. You already own, remember, the pardon of God, the peace of God. This is if you're a Christian, by the way. If you are not a believer, none of these things belong to you. But they can if you surrender to Jesus. If you're a believer, you already own the pardon of God, the peace of God, the power of God, the promises of God. And he says you can even be a partaker of his divine nature. That is, you can have the purity and the personality of God. And let's see if you need a reminder. All of this happens. All of this is is already in your possession, but it becomes more real to you when you use your key. Get to know Jesus. Jesus. Awesome. All right. Some of you didn't need that reminder, which is awesome. But I needed to be reminded that you didn't need that reminder. Okay. Um, Then in verse 5 through 11, Peter reminds us, he says, look, I've told you you're rich, but now you respond. You respond to your richness by getting richer. Where he says there in in verses 5 through 7, I think it is, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, all of those things. Peter's reminder is, look, you need to keep growing. The Christian life is not stagnant. If you are not growing by getting to know Jesus more and more into his image, the Bible says that you are backsliding. 
There's no just staying still in Jesus. If you are not growing, Peter would say you have declared, you've made yourself to be a tasty morsel for those wolves. He says the way to stay true in the face of falsehood is to, number one, know you're rich, but number two, set your mind to getting richer. That is adding these things to, uh, to your faith. Okay? So chapter one, Peter reminds us, uh, you're rich. He reminds us, look, but you need to respond and get richer tonight. The third specific reminder, rely on the word. Rely on the word. <clears throat> I have an outline for you for tonight if you're interested. Even if you're not, I'll still give it to you. Here it is. Number one, we're going to see a real witness. That is Peter. Number two, he's going to talk about the reliable word. And then number three, his application time, he's going to say, so since the word is so reliable, now rely on that word. Okay? A real witness, reliable word, rely on the word. So the outline is a pirate's dream. Arr. That was for free. <clears throat> Here we go. <laughs> first Peter says, or, or first we notice Peter is a real witness. Verse 16. <clears throat> so sorry, excuse me. Verse 16. For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And this flock of God that Peter's writing to we know just from, from the verses that are coming, but even this one, we know that the flock of God was being attacked very subtly. You've got to remember, this was written in the mid-60s A.D., so that's 30 years after the resurrection, okay? It's enough time to where people could begin to introduce doubt that any of this even happened. See, these wolves, supposedly Christian, were apparently saying something like this. Look, it's been 30 years. I mean, how do we even know that Christianity, as, as it's been handed to us, isn't some very clever story? Just some cunningly devised fable. The wolves, back in that time, seemed to have that same lisp that the serpent had when he said to the, to Genesis, to, to the woman in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, Has God indeed said that you shall not eat of every tree of the fruit of the garden. That's the first thing that the devil wants to do, right? Is to just introduce doubt so subtly. Did he really say that? These false teachers, I think, were apparently doing just that. Uh, basically saying, look, it could be that all of this is really just cleverly devised fables. Peter's response to that is basically, look, this is no cunningly devised fable. There's no evil genius master plan. Peter might have said, look, we're fishermen and some tax collectors and other misfits. Half the time we didn't even like each other. It's not like we held a giant consortium and pulled together all our amazing intellectual prowess and devised this airtight story. By the way, even if you did subscribe to that theory that it was all just some very cleverly devised story. Let me remind you, all of these guys died martyrs' deaths. Ugly, gruesome, martyrs' death. Even Peter, who is writing this, he died by crucifixion 
again, legend has it that he died uh, upside down because he wasn't, didn't feel himself worthy to die like his Lord. Ugly martyr's death. I don't know about you, but me, if I'm in one of their spots, I don't care how cleverly designed the conspiracy is. If I know it's a conspiracy and they start driving a nail into my hand, uh, you know what? The whole thing was fake. I'll show you where the body is. Right? I, it doesn't make sense at all that these guys would go to the lengths that they went to for a cleverly devised fairy tale. Men don't willingly die gruesome martyrs' deaths to uphold a cunningly devised fable. Men only willingly die for the truth. I don't know if you, if I shared this with you before, but Chuck Colson, who was part of the big Watergate scam, he looks back and he says, we had some of the, the brightest minds and we couldn't keep this thing under wraps. And once one guy goes, they all fall like dominoes. It just doesn't happen. They don't do that for cleverly devised fables. No, Peter says, verse 16, we were eyewitnesses. For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Now look down at verse 18. He says, and we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. You guys see the three eyewitness kind of phrases there? Peter says, look, I saw his majesty with my own eyes. In verse 16. In verse 18, Peter says, I heard God's voice with my own ears. And he says, and I was physically present with him on that holy mountain. Peter's message, guys, was this. I saw him. I heard him. I was with him. Application time. How are you all in your witness for Jesus. How are y'all doing as a witness for Jesus? He's called us to be his witnesses, right? We have very fancy lettering, thanks to Janet Keith, awesome, on the wall up there that talks about Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where he says, Jesus does, and you shall be my witnesses, the witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. How's your How are you doing as a witness for the Lord? Here's the deal. So often we think that witness is something you do. Telling people about Jesus. That's a good thing. But listen. Witness is never first what you do. Or what you say. Witness first must be who you are. We are called to be witnesses, not to necessarily witness. Here's where I'm going. A witness is someone who, first of all, has seen or heard or experienced something, right? In a trial, the whole reason a witness is called is because they have seen or heard or experienced something, right? They've experienced something relevant to that trial, If you were to go into a courtroom, they would not call you a real witness if you just went up and said, that guy did it. You're only a real witness if you saw that guy do it 
or you heard him confess to it, or you were with him when he did it. Does that make sense? See, I don't know if you've noticed, but it seems to me part of my job as a pastor is to say out loud some of the things that convict us all. You guys ever notice that? (laughs) You're like, yes, entirely too much. Well, I guess it's one of the perks. (laughs) No. um, Get ready. I'm going to say something convicting about being witnesses, okay? But it might not be what you expect. Because what you normally expect to hear uh, this time when we start to talk about witnessing is something like this. You need to get out in the world and witness. And that may be true. But this is worse. This is more convicting. This cuts, I think, more to the heart of the matter. Before we go out to the world and witness, I think many of us need to go into our closets and become witnesses. Convicting statement alert. Whoop, whoop, whoop. Here it comes. Could it be that some of us never seem to be called to the witness stand because we haven't actually witnessed anything lately? Before we go out into the world, we must go into the secret place and become witnesses. Listen. I don't know why the Lord keeps ringing the bell about quiet time. He wants us to go into the secret place to become witnesses so that we can say with Peter, I am an eyewitness to his majesty. I witnessed it this morning in my time with him. I saw how he rescued Israel. I saw... I personally, I'm telling you this now from my own personal experience, I saw this morning my Savior hang on a cross when they mocked Him. When they, they blasphemed Him. I saw His majesty. You know the story. He could have, He should have, from our perspective, just come down off the cross like they said and blasted Him. But I saw His majesty. When we go into the secret place, we become his witnesses. We can say, I witnessed his majesty this morning. I heard the voice from heaven today, just like Peter did. We can say, I was there when he began instructing me in his word. I heard from heaven today, just like Peter says in these verses. We can even say, like Peter says here, I was with him on the holy mountain. Yes, it looked like a futon and a table with a light on it and a Bible. But really, I was with him on the holy mountain, on holy ground, as it were. That's how I can be a witness for him today, when I actually witness that which he is up to. Do you guys get it? That's what made Peter's testimony so powerful. That, that's what will make your testimony so powerful. What made his witness real was that he gained a history with Jesus. Does that sound familiar? Gaining a history with Jesus, getting to know him. Peter had been with Jesus and he could truthfully 
be that real witness. Peter was a real witness, and we can be too. Matter of fact, the world needs us to be real witnesses. Okay? Next up, we've seen a real witness. Next up, the reliable word. I think you're going to see here that God's word is reliable even when it might look otherwise. Look at verse 16. For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. This is going to get interesting, I think, where it says power and coming. That word coming is parousia. And that word, whenever you see that in relation to Jesus, whenever you see uh, where it says coming of our Lord or coming of Jesus, something like that, it refers to his second coming. It refers to when he will come and rule and reign. Listen to what the Blue Letter Bible says for parousia, that word. It says it refers to the future visible return from heaven of Jesus to raise the dead, to hold the last judgment, and set up formally and gloriously the kingdom of God. So, listen to this. You could read then, verse 16, you could read it this way. For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and future coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The power and the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. But you say, wait. How is that possible? I mean, Jesus hasn't even come yet the second time, right? Turn to Matthew chapter 16. Turn to Matthew chapter 16. I want to show you something. At the end of Matthew chapter 16, Jesus makes a promise to his disciples. And listen, at first glance, that promise would look as though it went unfulfilled. The the cynic, the critic, can look at Matthew 16, verse 28, and say, ah, his word is unreliable. It's, It's not true. Because right here, Jesus promised something that he didn't fulfill. Look what it says. Jesus speaking to his disciples, verse 28. Jesus makes this promise. Assuredly, I say to you, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the Son of Man in his coming, in his kingdom. So do you see what he's saying? Some of you will not die until you see me upon my return, till you see me in my kingdom. Jesus promised, and look, he even said, assuredly, assuredly. That is truly, truly. There are some of you standing right here now with me, Jesus says, that will not die till you've seen me coming in my kingdom, till you've seen me in my glory. Before you die, you will see the advent of my kingdom. And again, we look and we go, wait, wait a second. I mean, it's 2010 tonight. It's been 2,000 years and we are still waiting on his return. And all of those disciples that he promised that to are dead and gone, every single one of them. How could he have said that some of them would see his kingdom? When did they see him coming in his kingdom? Very next verse, chapter 17, verse 1. Now, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, some of his disciples, and he led them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. Do you see it? This is a preview of his coming glory. It says, His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. Then Peter, it says, 
Okay, a reminder, that's our author. <laughs> that's our author, the guy who, who's writing such amazing things to us right now. Verse 4, he says, Then Peter, he, was, he finds himself on holy ground. Jesus, Moses, Elijah conversing. Peter is awestruck. Another gospel says that he didn't know what to say. So he said it. <laughs> In a moment like this, words escape the wise man. Not Peter. Verse 4. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Peter doesn't know what to say, so he says, hey, it's uh, good that we're here. <laughs> like Moses and Elijah are going, yeah, boy, what would we do without you here, Peter? He says, oh, look, let's, let's, make a, let's camp here. Let's make three temples, uh, one for you and one for Moses, one for Elijah. There is so much wrong with this picture. Peter has like both feet and he's looking for more feet to get in his mouth. So much wrong with this picture, not the least of which is that there's Jesus and Moses and Elijah all here, but who's doing the talking? Peter. So verse 5, while Peter was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. Read between the lines. God's saying, Peter, Dixney. <laughs> Peter is the only guy in all of recorded scripture that Almighty God had to interrupt. <laughs> Suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. But Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise and do not be afraid. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Awesome. Go back to our text, Second uh, Peter chapter 1. <clears throat> Y'all, the point that Peter is making in his text, referring to that moment, and notice he gave us the abridged version with, without all of his uh, missteps. But his point that he's trying to make is this. God's word is reliable. Even if at first glance it appears otherwise. Again, the context of this, I think, has to be the false teachers are, are, are saying stuff like this. Look, most of the disciples, uh, most of these apostles, these twelve are already gone. And looks like Peter's next, these, these false prophets were saying. And Jesus still has not returned. It's been 30 years. They're saying, what if the whole thing is just a big story? That's, their, that's the way they're working their way into uh, these people's minds. What if the whole thing was a clever story? Peter says, verse 16 again, For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus, the fact that he is coming back, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father, God the Father, honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Do you hear Peter's heart? Look, I saw the preview with my own eyes. 
And you notice the words that he has to choose? The only words he can think of to describe this majesty, he says, honor, glory, excellent glory. He says, I heard that amazing voice that came from the heavens. I heard them with my own ears. Peter probably is thinking, I remember distinctly because it sounded very much like, shut up. (laughs) Peter's saying, Jesus promised that he would come. He promised that we would see him before we died. And we did. We saw him in his glory and majesty. We did it six days after he promised it. I saw it. I heard it. I was with him on that holy mountain. Verse 19. This is where he's headed for the whole thing. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed. The word confirmed. It means stable. Fast. Hold fast, right? Firm. Immovable. You know, Peter's main message here is this. God's word is reliable. Jesus told me he would do it and he did it. God's word is reliable. He knows the end from the beginning. God can tell you tomorrow's headlines a thousand years. He could have told you a thousand years ago what it will read in the paper tomorrow. God's word, his prophetic word, is reliable. Now let's take a little side note just uh, just to, to cover something here. Do you notice that Peter, who literally now we know, had a mountaintop experience? Do you notice that he's not directing us toward a mountaintop experience? He's directing us to the more sure word of prophecy. If you have the old King James, that's what it says. The more sure word of prophecy. The implication is, look, this experience I had was awesome, but you know what's more sure? The word of prophecy, the Holy Bible, the scriptures you're holding in your lap. Think about that. Peter, who experienced heights of experiential glory, he points us not to that, but instead to the more sure, steady, stable word of God. Let let me speak to you, especially tonight, if you are experience-driven, Meaning you're one who tends to seek after spiritual experiences. If you're seeking the latest craze in healing or holy laughter or the Toronto blessing or the barking that they do, any of that stuff. If your life, let me put it this way, if your life is described by chasing after mountaintop experiences, you're going to go from one experience looking for the next And you're going to find yourself tossed around by every wind of doctrine. And let me tell you, you are wolf meat. You are a false teacher's dream. If I'm describing you, they dream about you every night. A tasty morsel. A sheep that's just like you that will follow some shiny new thing. And you don't realize it's the blade of a knife. Jesus said, a wicked and adulterous generation seeks after, chases after a sign. But if instead you seek after the word, Peter says, you will become stable, firm. You will grow up strong in the Lord. 
You guys realize what Peter doesn't say here. He doesn't say, I saw his glory. So come up with me up here on the mountaintop and we'll wait for his glory and howl at the moon. No, he says, I saw his glory. And listen, to me that proves how reliable his word is. You see, there's two different paths you can take. One is wolf meat. The other is stability. I saw his glory and it proves how reliable his word is. Okay, and that's exactly where Peter goes next. You're going to see. First, we see a real witness. Next, we see the reliable word. And third, here comes application time. Peter is a good preacher and he brings in the application. He says, since the word is so reliable, number three, rely on that word. Verse 19. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm doing really, I'm tracking really well until I get to this part. And I don't know if I have this anti-poetic chip in me or what, but Peter starts to wax poetic here and I'm like, okay, I got to really focus now. There's a lot of poetic words in here, especially for a fisherman, right? But the application boils down, listen, to those first two phrases in verse 19. Here they are. We have the prophetic word confirmed. In other words, Peter's saying God's word is reliable. And the application is which you do well to heed. What he's saying is the word is reliable. So rely on the word. But he po- waxes poetic next. But once I did dig in, this is awesome, guys. But we have to dig in, okay? Because I don't know what it is, and maybe I'm the only one. But I have this filter, and when I see po- uh, poems, I'm like, okay, maybe it doesn't mean anything. But it does. It's awesome. Here we go. He says, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place. The word light. It's specifically, it's it's... L-Y-C-H-N-O-S, and it means a lamp or a candle. That is, a light that is placed on a stand or a candlestick. He says, you would do well to heed this reliable word just as you would a light that shines in a dark place. The word dark place there is akmeros. And listen to this, it's not just dark, but literally squalid, dirty. So it's dark and nasty. That helps me tremendously because as soon as I hear those words, I can't help but think of the dungeons of that day. Legend says that Peter spent time in what is known as the Mamertine prison in Rome. Some people think that Paul spent time there as well. Literally, you, you can go there today, they have, you know, it doesn't look exactly the same, but you can see uh, exhibits and how it would have looked and that kind of stuff. Literally, this was a hole in the ground. The, the prison, the dungeon, was a hole in the ground. They would shackle you and just toss you in. And however you landed was how you landed. You were shackled. Sometimes they would, if you were especially creative in your escape possibilities, they might chain you to a pole or something like that. But there were no windows. There's no outside light. Quite possibly, 80% of the time, it was pitch black. Okay, Whatever light would have come just from the hole, maybe they covered up, we don't know. And I can tell you this, the dungeons back then, no plumbing whatsoever. 
don't want to get too graphic for you, but there's human waste accumulating in these dungeons. No better description of the contemporary dungeons of Peter's day uh, and, and Paul than, than Achmeros, which is not just dark, but squalid, nasty. Do you hear what Peter's saying? Maybe you find yourself tonight in Achmeros. It's not just dark. It's nasty. Maybe you're in the dungeon of finances. You cry for help and it's like, hello, hello, hello. Maybe it's emotionally. Whatever it is, maybe you find yourself tonight in a dark place. And it's not just dark, it is squalid. Life stinks. Maybe you're in that dungeon because of your own doing. Maybe it's because of someone else's doing. Maybe your life stinks right now simply because you're part of a squalid world. A fallen, nasty, dirty, dark world. Listen, do you hear what Peter's saying? Focus on that lamp. Thy word, the Bible says, is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. He's talking about the word. In a dank, think about that. In a dank, squalid dungeon, totally devoid of light. Again, maybe you, you, you only get light every third day, whatever it might be. Can you imagine the godsend that a candle would be? I mean, just a flicker of light would become this raging beacon of hope in those circumstances, right? Do you hear what Peter's saying? Look, the darker things get, the more you need that lamp. The candle that Peter's describing is the Word of God. He says that Word, if you cling to it, if you trust in it, right? If you set your life by it, if you make your decisions by the light that the the word brings into this dungeon, verse 19, if you do it, it will sustain you, it says, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. That was the ancient description of daybreak. That's how they would say, when the morning star rises... So again, this fisherman, kind of unexpectedly, but poetically, he's saying something very, very real and contemporary and helpful. Look, I know it's tough. I know it's dark. I know life stinks. You would do well to focus on the lamp of his word, like a candle in the dungeon. Until the real light of dawn comes streaming through. Do you all see what he's doing here? This is like one of those hold on till morning texts. He's like, you've got to hold on to that, that word of yours. It's just a candle right now. But soon the light will come streaming through. Verse 19, and so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. The word is your candle in this darkness. But he says that only 
You'll only need that until the morning star rises. Now, who or what is the morning star? Who or what is the dawn that we await in this present darkness? Yes, Jesus. Turn to Revelation 22. The last book of the Bible. These are some of the very last words in this lamp that you have in your lap. Revelation 22, verse 16. I, Jesus... So Jesus is speaking. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you of these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. And the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him who hears say, come. Let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. He says, for I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. Listen, if anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. Interesting. What's Peter trying to get at through this whole book? He's trying to nail to the wall the wolves before he goes. The same thing on Jesus' heart right here. Peter's going to spend all of the next chapter, when we start Sunday, we're going to get into chapter 2. He's going to spend all of chapter 2 declaring curses on false teachers who add to and subtract from the written word of God. And Jesus does the same thing here. Do you understand? Jesus is very, very concerned about how we treat his word, how especially false teachers, he's got something in store for them. And here's why, guys. He knows it's our only candle until he comes streaming through. It's awesome. In verse 20, he calls himself the bright and morning star. Guys, hold on. I'm coming. I'm coming to rescue you. I just want to close by saying, no matter what hole you find yourself in, what dungeon, how dark it is, how much it stinks, please hear this. The dawn is coming. The bright and morning star is on his way, and his name is Jesus. But until that day, Peter says, Jesus says, I say to you, cling to the word. Cling to the word. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. Thank you, Lord, so much. I thank you, Lord, that from the beginning of time, you knew that we were going to wreck this world and turn it into this cesspool. You knew, Lord, that some of us, Lord, all of us, to one degree or another, would be standing in our own mire, waiting for a rescuer. But, Lord, I thank you that you, you foresaw that so long ago and you moved holy men like pens in your hand to write this holy, awesome word. And thank you, Lord, that you've given it to us, Lord. Sometimes it's the only thing that we can cling to. It is the only thing we can cling to with surety. Lord, I pray that you would continue what you're doing, Lord, what you're saying to your church tonight. Lord, there's nobody here by accident. Lord, you've called us here to hear your message. To not just wallow in the mire and to to give up and to lose hope, but to cling to your word. 
to get to know you, to unlock the riches that you have for us. Help us, Lord. We love you. We want to be doers of your word and not hearers only. We want to be those who, who wait patiently and joyously and victoriously for our rescuer. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.